0: Good morning, I'm Linda Ojala, I'm filling in for Tim Jennings today who is traveling in Australia and talking to many groups of people while he's there about this message of God's character of love. Let's have a word of prayer as we talk about the three angels' messages today. Dear Father, thank you so much for helping us to see the truth about you, guiding us from darkness into light. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be among us today and with all those who are listening. Open our hearts to your truth, cast out anything that's evil inside us, and please fill us with your Holy Spirit to help us uh, become more and more like you each and every day and prepared for your soon coming, and use us to show others the way as well. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. amen. Lesson 10, God's everlasting gospel, is essentially about the three angels' messages. But I will say that I look at it more like the six angels' messages. <laughs> because in the whole chapter of Revelation 14, there's actually six messages from angels. Three of them pertain to us and what we should or shouldn't do. And three of them are heavenly directives from their perspective. So, looking at today's memory text, they use Revelation 14:12. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God. And the faith of Jesus. I will start today, as Tim generally has done, as we've been talking about Revelation, by saying that understanding Revelation in its totality is not a requirement for salvation. Because we are saved through a loving, trusting relationship with Jesus Christ and an understanding obedience to his laws that are used to build this universe to operate. The question that you just have to ask in that case is why bother to study it? (laughs) If it's not essential for salvation, what is the worth of studying something that can be kind of complicated and may be interpreted in multiple ways? The gospel means the good news. And so I'd like to look at the good news in Revelation. And when you look at the beginning of Revelation, it says this is a revelation... Of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So you could take that in one of two ways. You could take it that it's a revelation from Jesus to us or a revelation about Jesus to us. And probably it is both. Because you can find Jesus and you can find the plan of salvation in Revelation. Why study Revelation? And try to find the good news, and try to find the mysteries, and try to find how to be saved, and something about Jesus. I like the verse in Proverbs 24, uh, three to six that says, "By wisdom, a house is built. Through understanding, it's established, but through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. A wise man has great power. And a man of knowledge increases strength. For waging war, which we are in, you need guidance. And for victory, many advisors. So let's look at the good news, the guidance, and the victory contained in Revelation. (coughs) Let's say that you didn't understand one single mystery about Revelation, and you just looked at Revelation for the things that were clear, And easy to understand. And just skipped all the really mystical parts. What could you find out about Revelation from that? So I wrote, I took each page and I kind of summarized each page as it in the basic summary. And this is what I came up with. This calls for taking it to heart. He loves us and has freed us from our sins. Repent and go back to your first love. Do what you did at first and overcome. Do God's will to the end. Remember what you received and heard, obey it, repent, and be earnest. Worthy is the Lamb, He purchased men for God. God will lead to springs of living water, we will never thirst again. Repent of the work of your hands and acts, it is time for God to judge. Overcome by the, spirit, by the blood of the Lamb and your testimony, obey God's commands, hold to the testimony of Jesus. This calls for faithfulness, patient endurance, and wisdom. Stay awake and keep your clothes on. He comes like a thief. Come out of Babylon so you don't sin or receive her plagues. God's judgments are just and true. He gives us the righteous acts we do. The dead are judged by what they've done. God will live with with us, wipe every tear from our eyes and make everything new. And finally, worship God. I'm coming soon to give everyone according to what he has done. That was my encapsulation of revelation without the mystical stuff. Do you see the plan of salvation there? The plan of salvation is actually woven all through revelation. And then we have the mystical parts that can be interpreted various ways and actually various levels. So we like to delve into them, but we do understand that people can come up with different ideas of how they view these uh, Symbols, yes. So, I would like someone, um, I have the NIV, but I'm, I feel like I'm hoarding the talking right now. <laughs> Is Can someone read, I want us to just read the whole uh, chapter 14, because that's what we're studying, so that whatever level of reading you've gotten done this week, you'll know kind of what, I, I'm not talking about the... Um, the remedy Bible. We'll look at that later on. But just the basic uh, Revelation 14. Who would do that for
1: us? What I did this week, I, I broke every sentence down, every comment down. The, the um, King James and then the remedy. Okay? And I got such a beautiful picture of God and the plan of salvation. I don't even want to go back and read the other one. Because it doesn't, it doesn't do justice
0: Yeah, but I'd like to start there and work our way through. So
2: you want to start with 14.1? Yeah. Okay, and this is KJV. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven, and earth, and the sea, and the fountains of waters." And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image. And whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works, who fo- their works do follow them. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud sat one like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. I can pick up
3: and another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud. Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for, the, for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the grape, of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and the blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse bridles, by the space of a 1,600 furlongs.
0: So this is kind of the Revelation 14 we all grew up with, and we got various ideas about. And today I'd like to, we're on kind of Sunday's lesson. We're doing kind of an overview of what we're going to be studying. So I wanted to start... There, because that's where we're most familiar. And then maybe work our way towards a better understanding of the symbols, because Revelation is full of symbols, and this is too. So it's really easy to uh, take some as being literal and some as being symbolic. And so we want to take a look at the three angels' messages, symbols and what they could mean. As an overview, I want to say that when I was studying this uh, lesson, And looking at the three angels' messages, I thought about a lot of the things in the Bible as you study, you you study at one level, and as you get more into the Bible, you maybe get deeper, like peeling an onion and deeper and deeper. And so most of the things in the Bible have depth to them, not just information that you they actually have connections and they help you to understand. So looking at the three angels' messages as a whole, looking at this as an overview before we start looking at the individual ones, I looked at it as, as what, does, what do they mean to me as an individual person? Then, what does it mean as a church? Or what does it mean as a member of the world outside the church? Because these, these messages have a meaning for every level that we're looking at. So I looked at it from a personal level. I looked at, uh, they said to me, because I'm including not only the three angels, but the, the three angels, for those who weren't here earlier, <clears throat> I look at it as the six angels' messages. Because the first three are to people, us, warning, and so on. The three, last three are more like to heavenly initiatives. So on a personal level, I thought <clears throat> that what they meant to me as a person or to an individual, give God... Give glory to God. How? By worshiping the creator of everything good in this world, including humans, our creator. If you do, this would be the second angel's message, confusion falls away from your life. Confusion falls. Babylon falls. If you don't, this would be three, the consequence of following the beast and receiving his mark will be torment with no rest. We'll have to delve into what more that means. Four, the fourth angel's message, if you do, you're rewarded by being totally healed and saved and taken out of this world. Five, if you don't, you're, you will not be healed so that the fire of truth will be too much for you. And six, angel, and the full weight of truth on the unhealed life will destroy you. But what would this, what would these messages be overall to a church level? I thought. So in a church level, more like a group of us. Worship the Creator God, examine the evidence, and use good judgment about Him. Babylon is not the world. This was, you know, it's a funny thing. For me, I guess, maybe just me, I thought of Babylon as unsaved people. You know, the confusion of the world and so on. But uh, Ellen White makes it clear, if you... If you um, like what she has to say, which I do, she, she indicates that Babylon is the church. It's not the world. It's the church that is mixed with truth and error, which can be any church, anywhere, even ours. So we have to be vigilant. So it's the church. So we as a church entity, what should we do regarding these messages? Should we identify Confused and erroneous teachings and rid them from the church of believers? Um, What happens to a church group that does not purge erroneous teachings about God? It's marked with error and condemns the group to lack of healing and restless torment. If the church does, the reward is being healed and promoting salvation to others. If the church does not, the fire of truth will reveal the error in the end. (coughs) And church members will clearly see that their leaders have taken them to a point of restless torment without true healing. So that was the way I looked at it as, as a church entity. And then the world outside the church, uh, discover and worship only. Now, these are people, unchurched people, right? Discover and worship only the true creator of this world. That would be message number one. Second angel's message, identify error and replace error with truth. Anybody, even somebody who doesn't know about God, can take these steps. Number three, if you don't, error is not harmless. It will destroy you. Four, if there is escape from craziness of error and salvation from it through the truth, there is escape from the craziness of error and salvation from it through the truth about yourself, then God, that Jesus reveals. And... Five, your true life, your decisions and results of them will be revealed without any ability to hide or manipulate them. No matter where you come from, eventually the truth will come out, as they say. Um, And six, the weight of that truth will put an end to your life. So those were taking a step back from church members, just individuals in the world. This is the way I thought about the six angels' messages. Eve. Eve.
4: Just one comment on the uh, church side of things, Um, because the concept that, you know, church leaders might want to purge error out of the church, uh, how do you go about doing that in a way that is consistent with God's methods? So, it's not, say, uh, forming a committee um, Mm -hmm. to punish those who believe differently. But it is instead presenting the truth in the love and leaving people free to choose for themselves, so I just wanted to clarify that
0: and it 's true because where I was thinking was what would you what would you say if your church, our church, or any church, was studying the Bible together and realized we are dead wrong about something? Would you hold your ground and say i don 't care we 're right, this is the way we 've always believed, and this is the way it's always going to be, or would you open your heart to the truth for this time and say we need to visit this carefully and decide whether this is biblical and is something we should embrace. So we're told that Satan will come right alongside truth and be very next to truth. So where else would he be but in our churches with us, <laughs> putting error right next to truth? And so everything has to be looked at from a biblical perspective. But I think freedom is a huge part of of Coming to God. No one can make you do anything. I mean, look at the Dark Ages and they tortured people to death. You know, they still held on to their beliefs. You can't make somebody change your belief.
5: Well, when you hear a lot of people say, we have the truth, and I've heard that said many times up front, then that pretty well closes the option of any growth. Mm-hmm and seeing any places we may not be right in our understanding of Scripture. I, I have a problem with that statement, because we know that truth should be progressive. We don't know it all. So if we quote half the truth, there is no room to examine, to really study for any growth, we're going to be growing through eternity. Shouldn't we be growing now also?
2: When I was reading uh, in verse 4, talking about the 144,000, it said, These are they which were not defiled with women for their virgins. Now, symbolically, women represent the church. Now, here it doesn't say a correct church or a wrong church. It just says a church. So our, we can have problems being associated with a group, participate in groupthink, right or wrong, but I have to develop it for myself.
0: And we have thousands of just Christian churches alone, not to mention all the other religions of the world. And how did this happen? How did we come to thousands of different outlooks on what the Bible says? I look at it as the, the hot lava theory. And where, you know, truth spills out, it's hot, it's glorious, we love it, we're embracing it, and then we kind of grab it and hold on to it, and pretty soon it cools after a while, and there we stay. Until, say, Martin Luther comes along and he says, Okay, I've got, I don't like, this is wrong. This isn't in the Bible, so another hot Lutheran, <laughs> Lutheran outlook. Oh, thank quite you. Bright. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, my, those of you who weren't here earlier, we, we had a lot of technical difficulties today, including my notes. <laughs> so, bless you. We've, we've got him back.
6: Referencing Martin Luther, I mean, how many are familiar with his famous quote? It says, Christ is neither known nor taught in Revelation. Okay? A man like that can read the book and not see Christ himself. However, what gets missed is his quote um, before that. or. The preface to that statement is, finally let everyone think of it as his own spirit leads him. I mean, he's, he's right in harmony with the law of liberty. Let 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 people decide for themselves. My spirit cannot accommodate the book. For me, this is reason enough not to think highly of it. <clears throat> um, just like Eve said, uh, that he, he is on an individual level manifesting the spirit of live and let live, let, let everyone be convinced in their own mind, whereas organized churches tend to be coercive and develop compliance committees to develop uh, appropriate thought and enforce it.
0: And Luther, they, he stopped at a certain point of his development and everybody kind of got cooled down. Then somebody else steps out and then somebody else steps out thousands and thousands of times. People step out, get a grain of truth, hold on to that grain of truth and then stay there. And that's not what God intends for us. He has new truth unfolding. Jesus said to his disciples, it's good that I go because if I go, I'll send the Holy Spirit and he'll take what's mine, my character, my thought, my outlook, my insight and give it to you. And there was no end to that statement. It's not like until you know, a certain amount is done and then we're, we're good. Ellen White says, We'll be learning throughout eternity. Like, like Joelle was saying, we'll be learning throughout eternity. So, shouldn't we be learning now? And, and the, the thing that gives me the creeps is the idea that we think Babylon is out there somewhere, and that Babylon could, in fact, be right near you. <laughs> we should take, we should really be studying the Bible. Study the Bible. Um, talk and meet with each other like we're doing now, share ideas. I view times like this as if we're all looking at the same house through different windows, and we're trying to describe to others the window I see. And you're right around the back of the house looking in that window, and you describe to me what you see. And when we gather here, we're talking about What we see through our various windows and we hope that through conversation and study and prayer together that we will see a fuller and fuller and fuller picture of this house that we call the church or God's church, God's building. Uh, We are told we're the builder. We are the building blocks. Christ is the cornerstone and we are being fitted for the building called the sanctuary in heaven, that we are the living stones. Well, Sunday, that's a sort of an overview. I just wanted to sort of say, here was my overviewing thoughts during the week. Um, but now, let's look in Monday and Tuesday of the lesson. We talk about the first angel's message. And again, I want us to look at the what is the good news, because that's what this whole thing is about. This whole lesson is the good news, um, the three angels' messages. So... In my NIV, or in this, or here it says, um, I don't know what version they're using here, but it says, Revelation 14:6 and 7, I saw another angel flying in midair and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language and people. He said in a loud voice, <laughs> fear God and give glory, give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, earth, the seas, and the springs of water. So, just give me some idea of what you think is good news about this. Any ideas?
7: It gives us some identifying features for actually coming to a better relationship with God. We, we know he's the creator. And, of course, in, in, in terms of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which most of us derive from uh, specifically here uh, we have re- always regarded our Sabbath truth as being an identifying feature of the peculiarity that we have among other Christians
0: the, the way we worship this guy. Yes. yes. anybody else Donna
1: worship the designer, creator and builder who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, the springs of water, all of which operate upon the law of love. Yep.
0: Anything else give you courage from this?
8: Well, I mean, obviously, what I believe about this text and what it means now is dramatically different than what I grew up believing. You're mm-hmm. sort taught. of
0: marching in that direction.
8: <laughs> oh, my word. I mean, it was always fear God and give Him glory because He's about to judge you. Mm-hmm. So. And if he's up in the sanctuary and he's already gotten to your name, too, you know, too bad.
0: So too said. bad.
8: That's literally how it was taught, which is a gross distortion. What I believe now. Now I believe, literally, the hour has come in Earth's history where we have reclaimed enough truth and light from the dark periods that we can actually make an accurate judgment about God. And the key to that is worshiping him as a creator and a designer and recognizing that his laws operate like that instead of like an imposed ruler.
0: Anybody else get some gem out of this? Oh, Karen.
9: And it's not just us torturing the data but to make it sound the way we like or feel better having it sound, that indeed the grammar, and I'm i learned this from others who are wiser, that the, the Greek is actually ambiguous. Uh, verse 7 that says, because the hour of his judgment has come, it's actually ambiguous. It is either the hour when God judges or the hour when God is judged. So our job is to be true to the text and to find the way, to find how it can speak well of God and not fall into maybe the well-worn groove that says, well, you know, it's got to mm-hmm. be the way we always have thought about it. It's got to be about God judging and making right and sticking it to those who don't agree with me.
8: And again, if you redefine judgment as diagnoses or actually stating what is true, then the hour when he judges and calls everything by what it is and accurately diagnoses, that's a perfectly fine interpretation. It's our legal on the word judgment. That is and
0: it's stated in one place: Let, let the, the the person who's holy be holy still. Let the person who's wicked be wicked still. There's at some point you make a decision, and you are not going to change off of that decision. We'll be talking about the mark of the beast, and where we have the seal of God. That's sort of an a place where we get where nothing can shake us from God anymore. But the mark of the beast could be the antithesis of that where nothing can shake you to get towards God anymore. You are now stuck there.
3: Yeah. I think it's biblical that when we follow God's principles and teaching that leads to healthy living, in health and reconnecting us to God, I think He's glorifying. I think it's biblical that that's glory to God is when we choose to follow His precepts, His ways. And it makes a big difference and in an, our lives An example would be
0: if you, if you were sick, and you went to the doctor, and the doctor correctly diagnosed you. You were terminally ill, but lo and behold, at great cost, I had this medication, and we'll just like, give it to you for free. Your job is, you didn't create it. You don't even know how it works. I take an aspirin. I don't even know how it works, but it takes and it works, so I'm happy about that.
3: <laughs> and I don't even cause it. Because, I mean, he causes it. I just choose it.
0: That's right. But you, but you can say, <clears throat> okay, you can go to the doctor and say, good, sounds good. Go home, put it on your shelf, say, yeah, I believe that would work. I think it's a good medicine. I think the guy who created it is probably a good guy. But you never take it. You never take it in. You don't let, so it doesn't do anything to you. Will it save you? Will it cure you, either of cancer or terminal disease or of sickness, which is a sin, which is a terminal disease. Let me just throw out some of the things that I thought I thought were good here. When I looked at the first angel's message, I thought, the good news for all is that this is for all eternity. It starts off saying this is the eternal message. It's not just temporary. This, this is something that's good throughout eternity. I like it that no one on earth is excluded. It goes to everybody, everywhere. You can't be in a group of people where it can't reach you. I like that. I like it. It gives us a choice. Yeah. Well, it doesn't exclude anyone. No matter what we think, or if we're racist or whatever, I mean, no matter what you think about anybody, uh, anywhere, they are inside God's reach. No matter what you think. <laughs> yeah. hmm You are not excluded, no matter what you've done, no matter where you live, no matter what education level, no matter anything. Um,
10: There's a difference between me judging God and God judging me.
0: Well, you know, the Bible does say, don't judge, because the way you judge will be the way you're judged. So we can take that to mean, if I think badly of you, you know, that'll come back. We think karma or whatever. But... The Bible seems to indicate that as you judge God to be, so you're judged. Like if I say God is holy and truthful, allows freedom and love, wants, to, wants me to understand, wants me to share. If I understand those things about God enough to open up my heart to his changing who I am, then that's The way I get judged.
4: I really
5: like that idea very, very much because I think that scripture has always sound punitive of well if you're this way, then I'm gonna smack it to you in return is the way it gets interpreted. Mm -hmm. But what you just said makes so much sense, which is the natural law of what is in our hearts. Is how we see how we see God is how we see others, how we see ourselves. Just it all circles. And it changes.
7: It changes your heart based it on does. how you look at. Well, so it's like I love what what was brought out last week. The definition of spiritualism is ascribing some magical faculty to an action or an item or whatever. And. That's kind of where we've gone with Christianity sometimes.
0: Knowledge without evidence. Some special
7: <laughs> magic if you do these things. And God's saying, if you expose yourself
2: to my character, it'll change you. Mm-hmm. It's not magic. It's design.
0: Not only will it change you, and I, I want to make sure we get to this, but I, and, uh, especially the third angel's message when we're talking about the what happens if you don't, <laughs> um, it, you, you, Everything about you has to be changed. You have to open up your heart to God so full of trust that no matter what he does to you, it's okay. The Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. So we need to spend a little time on what that means. Uh, a lot of what we talk about here is spiritual. Some of it may be actually physical. But we have to be so trusting and open to God that whatever he does to our correcting our broken parts, our code, our DNA code. We've got so many thousands of years of deficient code being handed down from parent to child. Uh, We're up against so much more because we are conceived in sin, you know, and uh, full of iniquity. And so we have to be open to God taking the defective code out, putting better code in. We have to be open to the idea He could change us entirely and that's okay with us because we trust Him. We're not waiting for the other shoe to drop. And a, a church or a spiritual a, a religion that teaches you to be afraid of God, afraid of when that other shoe is going to drop, what's it going to do to me now? I want to read to you this text which has come to mean a lot to me and it's in Luke. It's actually by... Uh, Zachariah, who was the John the Baptist's father, when he, could, when he could speak again, um, it says that he prophesied, and he prophesied about what the mission of his son would be, and he prophesied about what Jesus' mission would be. And without reading the whole thing for time factor, one of the things he says, um, this is about Jesus' part of why he even came to earth. Um, salvation from our enemies to show us mercy to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and this is pertinent to what I'm trying to say here Jesus came to enable us to serve him without fear in righteousness and holiness and righteousness before him all our days so there's kind of Maybe two ways of looking at fear. A fear that this person is powerful and awesome is great. But only if you trust that powerful being. Do you look at the the seven days of creation? Six days were powerful. If it takes if you can take a minute amount of material and create an atom bomb out of it with the energy in there. Imagine the power it takes to create this (laughs) and us and everything so for six days god just flung that power out so he could have said on that seventh day okay see what i've done worship me bow down you know i am more powerful than you recognize it but instead he created today he created the seventh day sabbath a day to think about it as tim says i rest my case I've shown you what I do, look at my laws of nature, look at science, look at the way I'm treating you, I've created all this for you, now take a day and think about it, think about how I, my creative power, how I use that, how we can relate to each other, that's the potency of the Sabbath, and I've compared it to a wedding ring, um, being it's not the actual wedding, but it's a symbol of the marriage say that Ken and I have, it's a symbol of marriage, it's not the marriage. Well, Sabbath is a symbol of our relationship with Christ. And we're, what Ken was talking about earlier in the, in the uh, Three Angels Messages, when we're talking about worshiping the Creator, and we think specifically Seventh-day Sabbath, and Ellen White talks a lot about that too, um, we demonstrate It's like you're going to war under a banner, a certain banner. Uh, good guys, bad guys, you know, whatever. I'm I'm under this banner. This God, the one that created everything and then allowed me a freedom to think about it and to choose him freely. That's a God I can get behind. He's my creator, he's a restorer. He gave his life to create the remedy. Just asked me to take it. (laughs) And I can't be condemned for being born here, it wasn't my fault. But surely, if we don't take the remedy, that falls on us. He gave it to us freely to make the changes that we need to have inside to meet him. Let's say you're a a god and you created something, but your very presence is toxic to every one of your creation. No man can see God and live. Therefore, God is toxic to us in our current state. We cannot be in his presence and live. So how would you approach people that you created under that are now because of their choices under that situation where they can't even be around you anymore or you would kill them just being around them so he has he has created this gem this this uh brilliant symbol of his, his leadership with us is a day and why and that that is so brilliant because everyone has access to the same day you may if it was an icon or if it was even the ark of the covenant or if it was something i'm convinced that's why there isn't any any artifacts left from the sanctuary because we would worship them you know look at the shroud of turin that's not even proved to be what we think it might be the the shroud over jesus but look at the way we treat that it's like you know it's great that we don't have that as a symbol. We have a day, we have a period of time, which everyone has equal access to. No one can keep you from that. The day passes. Every seven days, we come around again to rest and rel- and, and enjoy our communication with, with our Savior, with our, with our Creator. But I want to point out that, according to Zachariah, the type of fear of being afraid That's what Jesus came to eradicate, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all of our days.
10: That was the point I was going to make before. My outlook on God now versus what I believe before I come to this class is he's such a loving God and to be able to judge his character is an honor. Because I see Him so different than I've seen Him before. I see Him as a loving God, not a God of vengeance or somebody to be afraid of, but a God who would die for me. I was worth dying for. If I was the only person on earth, I was worth dying for. And before I come to this class, it was the do's and don'ts of Sabbath.
9: Mm-hmm.
10: Not the love that God gave for me in the creation that's out there that He gave to me. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts to me anymore. I don't even pay attention to that anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's a blessing in my life, because now I know what the Sabbath was really for. It wasn't for me not to do this, not to do this, not to do that, not to do that.
0: It was for me to enjoy His company. I, I tend to be a workaholic. Any other workaholics in here? <laughs> its <is, laughs> It'd be wonderful. <clears throat> what if... <laughs> I love the Sabbath too, because the Sabbath allows me a day free of guilt, (laughs) of not doing all the things that, you know, I think without the Sabbath, I'd be doing stuff 24-7. I'd be exhausted. The Sabbath is a day when we can disconnect, when we can do it without guilt. It's like, no, I I can't work. (laughs) I can't work.
4: You know, we we keep talking about the Sabbath, and in the in the lesson, it was pretty clear that they're kind of taking it as, a, as an arbitrary test of obedience. And yet, the Sabbath can be viewed and and um, followed in two different, completely different ways. So you can either look at it as evidence: this is who God is, and I want to spend time with Him and worship the designer and the creator, or you can say this is an arbitrary test of obedience and I will fulfill that test and and worship on the Sabbath. But you have to understand that that you're literally choosing a different God if you're going on the arbitrary test. Um, I mean, if you look back at what the Pharisees did, they observed the Sabbath perfectly. So perfectly that they had many, many rules about how to do it. And yet, that clearly did not help them understand God, so that when he walked among them, he killed them.
0: Hmm. I know, hurry him, so. up and get him off the cross so we can kill him, yeah. Yeah, so we can kill him so we can worship on Sabbath. You know, that's, they were so far removed from who God really was, they were so anxious to keep the Sabbath that they made sure he was killed and off the cross so that they could go home and worship him. <laughs> So sa- keeping the Sabbath won't save you.
6: It <laughs> could be another
7: form of spiritualism. If I do these things, somehow magically I'll be yeah. good. I, I know you're going there. And I just don't know how fast. I, you know, Linda has done all this research and, and, and study for this lesson, which is wonderful, and I really want to hear what you have to say. But what I want to do at this moment is focus on that verse that you said you were going to which is the third angel's message that basically and I hope this doesn't sound blasphemous to say but it scares the bejesus out of most people <laughs> that don't really understand the mysticism or the the, uh, the the God that they don't understand the mysticism of the symbols and they don't understand the God that we're talking about so when, when people don't study and when they totally rely on a, a minister who is using fear as a tactic to uh, control them, that's when you can really be alienated from God by thinking that this guy is really bad. If I get to the point where, where he's judging me and I haven't... Got everything just right. I'm in big trouble.
0: So, looking at the time, let's well, the second angel's message about Babylon has fallen. We kind of talked about that, Babylon being the church, and you've got to see where the church, whatever church you're in, follows the Bible and where it doesn't, and have the courage to follow follow Christ <laughs> and come to a better idea of what God is like. And you could look at it like when you accept God and worship Him, then Babylon or the confusion of babylon will will fall away from you, so that can be the second the next result of following God. but looking at the third angel 's message, we might as well jump over there <laughs> um, I have some what if outside the box things that came to me. So, bear with me because I'm sort of an outside the box thinker a little bit. I, I speculate that we don't know much about what goes on um, out there. So, I want to point out that in the third angel's message, it says um, If anyone receives the mark, w- worships the beast in and and his image, and receives his mark on the forehead, that is the way he thinks. Or in his hand, whatever what he does. Uh, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been pull, poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. If you read Romans 1, it tells you what God's wrath really is. And that's letting you go. To, you've, stuck, you've stuck to this so long, you're, you're not even coming my direction. You never will. <clears throat> but this is the part that struck me. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels. And of the lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever. And the Bible, smoke or incense, it means the memory of it. The we will always remember this. <laughs> we will, we will remember what happened, and we will not want to go back there ever. And there's no rest, day or night, those who worship the beast in his image. There. So, here's the. I want to cover this before we get done because. You know, on this earth, there are creatures that can exist where we can't. For example, under the ground, we have volcanoes under the ocean, deep under the ocean, tremendous pressure, terribly high heat, and lots of sulfur coming out of these things. And when we went and examined them, uh, finally we're able to go down that deep and examine them, guess what? We found creatures living there. These creatures could live in the pressure. They could live in the sulfur. They could live in the heat. If we went there, we would die. We would be tormented in the presence of an underground volcano full of sulfur and heat and pressure. Our bodies, we, could not tolerate it. So there is a volcano in Indonesia that has a much higher degree of sulfur coming out than usual all volcanoes have sulfur we have sulfur some of our food that we eat has sulfur and in solid amounts it's it's what we need and it's not harmful to us but in this particular volcano which i fortunately cannot remember the name of right now there's so much sulfur coming out and sulfur apparently heats up at a lower rate than most things do it's easier to ignite And there are pictures you can look online. I'll try to include a link to one of them in my notes if I can get that to work. But you can go online. And it'll go on fire. All this sulfur will go on fire. There's people who make a living going in there and chopping up this sulfur and selling it to people who need sulfur in their medicine or food, whatever. But it's very toxic, and they live short lives, and it's very harmful to them. But pictures of it will really amaze you because it burns kind of a, a dark. In the dark, you can see it better. It burns like blue, a real blue fire. And burning sulfur is called brimstone. Okay. So when we're in the presence of Hail the Angels and the Lamb, people who have not been changed are tormented with burning sulfur. There's rivers of fire coming out from, the, from God. The Bible says who, in, in uh, Isaiah 33, it says who can dwell with the eternal burning. And it's the righteous. It's not the wicked. The righteous can dwell in the eternal burning. There's uh, another verse. Um, your, it went out, and I don't have your password, so I'm now back to no notes. But anyway, um, it says, Jesus said, you'll be like angels. We know we'll have different capabilities when we're in heaven. We're told Ellen White says that we'll be able to fly with wings. We'll be able to see God as he is, which would kill us at this point. We apparently will learn, know how to play harps. (laughs) Somehow that'll be programmed in or something, because it doesn't say anything about learning to play. We just play it. And seeing long distances, much farther than we can see now. Um, Studying and never getting tired um, learning new things never worry you. I mean, we will not be the same beings we are now, physically or spiritually. We won't be the same beings, like Jesus said. You won't be marriage and giving in marriage. You'll be like the angels. Angels are beings of light. Um, there are creatures that God has created that do glow with light. They have a phosphorescence, part of them that glows. We used to glow as people, apparently, and we lost that in Eden when they decided to distrust God. So I was just thinking, well, maybe we won't even be carbon-based beings anymore. You know, we will be, I mean, how else can you go on a cloud from here to heaven, which we think might be in in Orion? That's a long distance in space. So I believe that we will be entirely different beings than we are now. What if we do not open our hearts to God, will not allow Him to change anything about us? And when we're raised, we're like we are now. Only, and she says, we'll still have the evidences of sin. Our thoughts will remain unchanged. We have not allowed God to come in. We have not allowed Him to make any changes to us. We didn't give Him permission. So it's a lot like a physician. You want to have surgery. They give you permit. What can we do when you're out like a light? So you tell them, okay, you can do this, you can do that. I sign off on that. So while you're asleep, even, the, the physician's in there working on you, and he is doing what you allowed him to do. But he is not allowed to do something to you if you don't allow him to. And I think a similar thing happens with God. You must open your heart. You've got to be changed physically, spiritually. Everything about you has to change in order to be with God and for him not to destroy you. <laughs> by And I think this is um, what we have taken to be actual punishment by God is actually God coming to take over his earth again. And those who have allowed him to change them can live. And those who haven't will be tortured in the presence of burning sulfur because they are still like us. They haven't changed one bit, and we can't live in burning. The one thing that's about sulfur, if you've ever been to Hawaii or any place where, where there's volcanoes, and you can't, it's really kind of creepy to stand in a parking lot, and I took a 360 video of steam coming out all around me of sulfur steam, and I'm thinking... It's all around me, which means I'm standing right over a caldera of burning lava. (laughs) It is a creepy feeling about that. But they warn you, you can't go over there and breathe all that stuff in. Especially you can't go over to the ocean where the lava is going into the ocean. Because when sulfur, burning sulfur, hits water, it turns into sulfurous acid, which is what we would call acid rain. Therefore, if you breathe it in and the moisture in your lungs is hit by the sulfur fumes, That happens inside your lungs and kills you. Um, And Anyway, it's just sort of an outside-the-box thinking about what we've always thought has been torture by God. You know, I'm going to torture you in the presence of sulfur and brimstone. Whereas that just might be God's presence, that we have not been changed if we don't accept and open our hearts to him. So we can't tolerate, we can't see God and live. I'd like to finish by Donna, since you brought it up earlier. Can you read Revelation 14 from the Remedy Bible? This is kind of where we, in this class, have gone to look at this whole um, chapter 14.
1: Then I looked and saw Jesus the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, which represented the place of victory over sin. He was with the 144,000 who had been healed, and had the character of Jesus and the Father completely restored in their minds, which was symbolic by the name of the Father and His Son written on their foreheads. I heard the sound of God's presence, like the ocean roar or deep thunder, and with it, what sounded like many harps being played together, symbolizing the beautiful melody that comes from the lives of the healed. And as God and the four living beings and the elders were watching, the healed, lived Christ-like lives that were like the sound of beautiful music. A song which only the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth could sing. These are the ones who did not corrupt themselves by filling their hearts with false views of God or practicing Satan's methods. They kept their characters pure. They followed Jesus the Lamb wherever he goes, always revealing the truth about him. They were redeemed from fallen humanity and are the first fruits, the first ones so settled into the truth about God and the Lamb that nothing could move them. No lie about God was found in their testimony. They were
9: without blame. Then I saw another messenger flying in midair, air and he had the eternal good news about God's character of love to proclaim to everyone living on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people, which represents a movement of people who arise to proclaim the truth about God's character of love throughout the world. He said in a clear, resounding voice, Be in awe of God and glorify Him by living His methods of love because the hour has come for everyone to make a judgment about God and worship the designer, creator, and builder who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and springs of water, all of which operate upon his law of love. A second messenger followed after the first, proclaiming throughout the world, Don't trust Babylon the Great, a symbolic description of religions that misrepresent God as it has fallen into the lies about God and intoxicates the world with its pagan views of God, maddening the people with its adulterous idea that God coerces and must inflict punishment if not properly appeased. And a third messenger followed the first two and proclaimed in a voice that was heard throughout the world, If anyone gives worth and honor to the beastly system of coercion by choosing the methods of the beast and thus marking themselves as loyal in heart by embracing the character of the beast or marking themselves as loyal in deed by practicing his methods, they will reap the full fury of unremedied sin when God no longer shields them from their destructive choice. They will experience immeasurable torment of mind and burning anguish of heart when they stand in God's fiery presence and are bathed in unquenchable fire of truth and love, all in the very presence of Jesus and the holy angels. The memory of their suffering and the lesson of their self-destructive choice will never be forgotten throughout all eternity. There will be no peace of mind, day or night, for those who prefer the methods of the beast and model after him, or for who ch- any who choose the mark themselves to mark themselves as followers of the beast. This requires patient endurance on the part of the healed who live God's methods of love and remain true to Jesus. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, write this, happy are those who die to sin and self, trusting the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from work to save self, and their loving deeds will follow them.
3: Hello. And I saw Jesus, the Son of Man, surrounded by a cloud of brilliant angels, wearing a crown of gold on his head, symbolic of his perfect character and rule of love. He had a sharp sickle in his hand, symbolizing his intent to bring the followers home. Then another messenger came out of the heavenly temple and called in a clear voice to Jesus, who was in the cloud of angels. Take your sickle and cut your followers Free from all earthly ties and bring them home. The time to reap has come because your people have matured and are ready to be cut free. So Jesus, seated amongst the cloud of angels, swung his sickle, and all throughout the earth his, his people were cut free and brought to heaven. Then another angel came out from the temple in, the, in heaven and he had his own sharp sickle. Yet another angel came from the altar with the authority of the fire of truth and called in a loud voice to the angel with the sharp sickle, Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of those who, like grapes, have ripened, but ripened on the vine of the earth's principles, for they are fully hardened in their selfish ways. The angels... The angel swung his sickle and gathered those who, like great clusters, were ripened into complete rebellion against God. And he threw them into the winepress, where they were pressed down under the destructive force of unremedied sin, when God no longer shielded them from their destructive choice. When God finally let go, they were crushed outside the city of God, under the weight of guilt, shame, despair, and fear, that unremedied sin brings their lives eaved away, and the dead were piled up six feet one point eight meters high for nearly two hundred miles around the city.
0: So, just from when we first read that chapter to when we have now read that chapter, do you feel or see a difference? Can you see? how we might have looked at certain things in a way that were, that was showing a God of anger, somebody to fear, versus a God who's trying desperately not to have us be in the tormented by his presence?
10: It would be somebody who's going to spit fire down on you and burn you in front of... How, how would that make me happy to see one of my children maybe mm-hmm. be burnt to death versus them falling asleep, or however you want to put it, because of their own anguish in their heart that they didn't make the right choices. That's a loving God. A God that would burn you is not
9: a loving God. it's all from changing your pair of glasses and your law lines. By, by th- that one shift makes it go from our beginning to the end of the reading. Yeah. The same words, but with a different pair of glasses on Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And I praise God for that. <laughs> Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, we are grateful for new insights that, that help us understand you better. The predicament you found yourself in, the remedy you have, have come across to save us, to heal us, to protect us from our own selves. Please keep working in us. We open our hearts fully to you, and we trust you and only you. We don't even trust ourselves because we know how we are. (laughs) Please live within us. Make the changes. Help us to be more like you and not be afraid of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.